My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Potential with Jeff Lerner. This is your host. So excited to be back with you having amazing conversations with amazing human beings. Today, we are joined by Tanya Dalton, founder and CEO of Inkwell Press Productivity, a company that provides training and tools for women entrepreneurs. Um, she's also best-selling author of multiple books, The Joy of Missing Out, which was one of the top business books of 2019, and most recently, On Purpose, The Busy Women's Life Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. She's a coach. She's a speaker. She's been a like top-ranked entrepreneur in her own right, grown a really successful multi-million-dollar business, and also runs one of the top business podcasts on iTunes called International Advantage. Tanya, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, um, I'm really happy to have you here, and I am going to first of all just acknowledge uh, that I I have long lamented, and I'll, I'll I'll give you a little bit of context on saying this. Um, so I run an entrepreneurial education company. And, and we're, a, we're a platform, so we bring together educators and entrepreneurial leaders and such from, from kind of all around the space and create this plat- amplification platform. And I'm like, where are all the women? Like, why are there not more really strong, awesome female leaders leading, entre- leading female entrepreneurs? And so yeah. I just want to say right out of the gate, I think it's awesome what you're doing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm much... I, I hate mansplaining stuff to women. I feel like it's like, so like, oh, let me tell you what to do. Like, I'd rather them learn from you. And maybe, uh, by the way, if you're a female in my audience, I'm not saying I'm not really grateful for you. I don't want that to come out the wrong way. Anyway, now that I put oh, my foot in my mouth. walk that one. Yeah. Okay, roll the tape back. Anyway, it, thank it, you for doing it's what good. you we don't like being mansplained to either. So it all works out now, but it's true. You know, we, we need more women in this space, talking about leadership, talking about growing their businesses. The truth is only 2% of women-owned businesses achieve the seven figure mark, which is kind of an abysmal, uh, you know, status, you know, Hmm. to, to share for, for men, it's three and a half times that. So there's definitely some things that we have to overcome as women to really step fully, completely, and wholly into our businesses. So uh, that's really what I help people do, step into the visionary role in their business. All right. You know, I never know where these conversations are going to go. Sometimes it takes a while to materialize. Now, I'm very clear very quickly here. You're saying that a male entrepreneur is three and a half times more likely to achieve seven-figure results. Yes, that is the truth. And they're like three times more likely to get uh, capital and funding than a woman-owned business. Mm-hmm. So that, those it's, are two separate, they're separate statistics. Yeah, so three they're and a half separate times? statistics, okay. but, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but yes, that, that's definitely one of the challenges. And that's one of the things um, that becomes difficult as a, as a woman. You know, I like to say that as a female entrepreneur who's achieved and exceeded the seven figure mark, um, you know, I'm told no all the time that there's nobody else in the space that looks like me. Or, you know, when, you know, we were talking before we hit record, when I first brought my book to market, my first book, The Joy of Missing Out, I had seven offers from publishing houses because they said there had never been a book written by a woman for women on productivity, on creating productivity systems and really diving into what that looks like. It's just not a space where women have have stepped into. And I think there's a lot of untapped potential there because women are amazing when it comes to entrepreneurship. Well, and I productivity? Mean, women are a yeah. hundred times more organized and productive than men. 
Well, I didn't say it. You did, but yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's so, true. so I just Googled books on product or I say Google that I'm using, what's that the eponymous word? Yeah. You're, you're doing a search for, yeah. I searched on Amazon. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. books on productivity and there are over 10,000 results by, I'm just going to read you first names, Rob, Carson, mm -hmm. Chris, there is a Bridget. There's a Bridget. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, James, Brian, yeah. Yeah, you You're get the hear point. Stephen, Cal, yeah. right? Michael, right. And the really well-known books are, yeah, it's yeah, it's so interesting. So, so, so where I mean, like, okay, there's long-form historical bias and prejudice, and all you know, there's been a lot of progress and blah blah blah. But like right now, here, 2020, it's 2022. I got used to saying that. Um, I know we're not used to it yet. <laughs> it that's actually like it's baffling to me that this is even still like a thing. Yeah, it is, it is baffling that it's still a thing. It's But when you think about, you know, if you were to look at all of human history as a timeline, the amount of time that women have been empowered to really step into what we're doing now, it's like minuscule. I mean, in the 1970s, you know, women weren't even allowed to have their own checking accounts. We were not allowed to have our own businesses. We couldn't have our own credit cards. So there is a lot of you know, intergenerational things that we have to overcome about what a woman's role looks like. And then also what is it, you know, how does that operate? So it's really kind of fascinating to look into. And one of the things I talk about in my book is, you know, we have a very hard time stepping fully completely into that identity as an expert, as an entrepreneur, oftentimes we shy away from it. And that holds us back. We really play small because that's what we think we're supposed to do. And for women, especially, they we won't apply for a job unless we meet 100% of the requirements. Now, men, it's 60%. 60% of the qualifications, a man's like, yep, I can do that. If a woman has 60%, she goes, nope, not there. Not there at 80, not there at 90, 100%. It's kind of crazy. Like we feel like we have to check all the boxes in order to see ourselves as an expert. Is, is that because you do, or is that because you have an inadequacy hangover from past generations? I think it's, I think it's both. I think there's a lot of pressure to be nice and to play nice. You know, there's the whole softening that we do with the term boss. I talk about this in, in the book on purpose as well. You know, we, we soften that word boss. We say girl boss or lady boss or boss, babe. What's wrong with just being the boss? But the problem is, is we associate that word boss with bossy. Now, when we're growing up and we're in school, if a girl comes out and she's super confident, we call her bossy. We never call a boy bossy. We never tell a boy to stop being bossy. We'll say, oh, he's overconfident, maybe. But mm -hmm. we won't say you need to play nice and play by the rules. Girls are taught to play by the rules. And that includes if we can't check all the boxes of the requirements, to be an entrepreneur or to, to step into whatever it is you're wanting to do. We think it's not for us. So let me ask this, cause I'm, I'm, you know, first of all, I obviously I'm married, maybe that's not obvious, but I'm married. So I, I, I had a really, I had an amazing mother. She was, I, I want to say the second female partner at her law firm, which was a big five national law firm. Um, so I grew up with a, a boss babe mom, uh, yeah. you know, forgive the term. Um, and I also have two daughters, <laughs> right? So like, I care deeply about this. Um, where do you, 
it seems like in the modern entrepreneurial world, entrepreneurship has really changed, at least as I see it, where um, it, it's, it's a lot about authenticity. It's about connection to the market. It's about developing your tribe. Um, and, and that doesn't seem like something that even by, by its nature is, could be exclusionary anymore. And yet it sounds like based on statistics, it still is in a way. Like, do you, where do you, what do you think is like, help me understand, how do I make sense of it that in the modern world, it's still this, this off? Yeah, it's a good question because you feel like, yeah, it is 2022, uh, but we do still have to deal with, there's still a lot of a stigma with being a woman. And, and some of it, some of it is self-imposed where we don't feel like it's okay for us to do these things, or there's a lot of push and pull, you know, we're the CEO of the office, but we're also the CEO of the home. You know, I wear my CEO of the office hat and then I leave work every day at three o'clock to come home, put my CEO of the home hat on, taking care of the kids and making mm -hmm. sure that dinner's on the table and doing all of those things. So there's a really interesting push and pull that happens with women. Nobody ever assumes when you're having a baby that you as a man are not going to come back, but they assume that a woman probably won't come back. Right. Or, you know, I, I know successful entrepreneurs who run eight figure businesses in the 50 million range who've shown up to meetings and somebody will say, who's watching the kids? You know, what do you mean? Who's watching the kids? I have a nanny, of course, you know, or, right, or right. somebody, or my husband's watching the kids. A, a lot of the women that, uh, you know, are, are in my range, their husbands are either, you know, working. My husband works for me. My husband is my CMO. He's worked for me since 2009. Um, but, or, or their husbands are at home taking care of the kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. These roles are shifting and changing. It's just a lot of our mindset needs to change with it. I think right now there is so much opportunity for women to step into. There truly is. Uh, you know, I was talking to someone the other day about speaking because I, I love to speak on stages. And they, they were saying that what they were hearing industry-wide in the speaking space is they want more women, but women aren't putting their name in the hat. They're not saying, hey, I'm here, I can speak on these topics. And I think it goes back to that whole idea of we don't feel like we fit all the requirements. We really hesitate to call ourselves experts. We call our business a small business. Or I got this little thing that I do, right? We, we play small because we don't want other people to be offended by who we are. And I think it's time for us to stop doing that, to truly step into the greatness we were designed for. I, I truly 100% believe that that women are fabulous entrepreneurs. And I think there are incredible men who are out there who are ready to be the allies, who are ready to open up those spaces for us. It's just getting that conversation going. I think in today's a, a great way to get that going. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, and, and I have to share that I, I, it's like, I can't not think, I'm thinking of this conversation I had with my parents when I was a kid. I remember uh, my parents, we were talking about like civil rights and my parents were talking about when they were growing up. And I was like, I remember asking my parents, I'm like, well, if we just wait long enough, won't all the racists die and then it won't be around anymore? And they're like, well, son, you know, there's probably always going to be ignorance and people are going to find it. And I kind of feel like it's almost the same question. Like, like, can we just hold on? Like, eventually won't all this old fuddy-duddy stuff, like they all just keel over. And then like, because it's just like <laughs> you and me, it seems so ridiculous. But, but I also yeah. recognize that, you know, human insecurity will will find purchase wherever it can in mm -hmm. oppressing the oppressible however it can right and yeah. not, all, not maybe not all men are, are ready for this but not but, all men but I, I think a good number are but there are definitely I mean we will my husband and I will go out 
from time to time. We go out more than from time to time, but we'll go out to these events and people will assume that he is the CEO of the company, right? Mm -hmm. And we've been at things where, you know, he's talking about the things we do and they're like, oh, you must travel a lot. And he said, well, I don't. Tanya does because she's the CEO. She runs the company. And he says, I'm the CMO. I, I work for her. And they will look him in the eye and go, Ooh, she's putting you in your place, isn't she? And he's like, not really. Nobody would question it if he was the CEO and I was working for him. But it seems odd and it doesn't reconcile. And it's just because it's not what we've seen in the past, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of like, is that okay? And it's like, uh, yeah, it's okay. No, you don't need anybody's permission to live the way you want to or run your business the way you want to. So it's fascinating because it is still something. I certainly run into people all the time who assume when I say that I run a company, they assume it's a little Etsy shop. Yeah. And they'll say, oh, they kind of pat you on the head like, that's cute. Like, and then oh, they will you must ask make me, your own candles or something. Right. <laughs> they'll say, oh, I'll say, you know, I run my own business. And they'll say, oh, well, what does your husband do? And I'll say, he works for me. And they're like, what? Right. But it's just because this is not something we've seen traditionally in our, our world. And so we're going to catch up. You're right. After some time, this is going to become normal. I, I look at my son, who is a freshman at college this year, who's lived his life with his mother running a multiple seven figure company, doing the things that I do. He's he's definitely a feminist, right? Having been my child. And for him, he's like, wait a minute there aren't more women running companies like this is mm -hmm. not normal. And so it, it's fascinating because it'll change, but we just got to, you know, we got to give it time yeah. to change. And as you but were, we also need to break down the walls. Yeah, we do. And, but it was interesting as you were talking about it, because you said something about, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but it was people being kind of scared to step into their full ownership or leadership or self-expression, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like they're dom not dominant, but like they're, they're really, living fully out loud type of experience of life, right? Right. That's not actually just women. Um, and, I, I, and I'm saying this from, from shepherding a lot of people into the entrepreneurial journey. I, I run an ecosystem where we have thousands of people sort of planting their flag and saying, I want to become an entrepreneur. There's a, that's actually like the hardest thing for people in general. It just seems, you know, is to like go from, I clock in, I get paid by the hour, I get told what mm -hmm. to do. I, you know, I, I need permission or I need to be told I'm doing a good job to extreme ownership. It's all on my shoulders. It just seems like maybe there's, you know, for every hundred men, there's like eight of eight men that are able, that are, that are feel confident doing that, but then like only two women, but it's still 90% of either gender that don't. Right. Um, I think there's definitely, there's definitely a barrier to that entry because, you know, we say we want to step out of all that structure, but really what we need when we step into entrepreneurship is structure, right? Yeah. We, we have all those expectations on us. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what's going on. We get into entrepreneurship and it's like, hold on a minute. I'm running every department all of a sudden. I'm trying to do all the things. I'm not sure where to focus. And we run ourselves ragged. So it's understandable that people feel uneasy when they step into entrepreneurship. We we romanticize it and we think, oh, I'm going to be on my laptop by the pool. And the truth is, who wants to be at the pool with your laptop? Close the laptop and be at the pool when you're right. at the pool, right? Be at work when you're ready to be at work. And so that's part of what I teach people how to do. How do you create that structure in your business How without it being stifling, right? For me... Productivity is like the bones in your body. 
It's, you know, your bones in your body don't tell you to run, skip, hop, or jump, but they allow you to do that. And that's what good productivity does is it gives you structure for your days so that you can fully expand into your full potential. And that's what is really powerful about creating that focus, creating those ways of maximizing your, your success through structure make a huge difference. So I have uh, almost 10 years ago, my, my, I met my wife. Well, I met my wife a little over 10 years ago um, and she had three kids at the time, single mom who I've now adopted. And then we, we've added a fourth. And so anyway, the point being on like day one, when I showed up and I was like, Hey, I want to be your boyfriend. And I would love to help you raise these kids. If you're open, we were like, okay, but we're going to therapy because kids are at play and we're not going to screw. Like, it's fine. If we screw, screw up, we're adults, but like, we're not going to screw up the kids. Right. So we were in therapy on day one. I'm like a therapy junkie. I love therapy. And my therapist said in total seriousness on day one, he said, I give this piece of advice to every one of my new patients. Not many take it, but he said, go get a henna tattoo, something you can keep attached to you as long as you need it, that says, structure is my best friend. Mm-hmm. And he's Structure's like- Structure's liberation. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like, and, and you know, now we have Jocko Willing saying discipline equals freedom, right? I mean, it's all the same message, but, but that idea of structure is as the great- uh, un- unlocker of human potential. I mean, we're on a show called Unlock Your Potential, right? I, I don't think there's a single bigger thing that you can install in your life to unlock your potential than, than better structure. So tell me, how did you get so obsessed with structure? How'd you get so good at it? And what is like kind of the, the, the core of your framework for helping people improve it? Yeah. Well, you know, I truly believe that structure is what liberates us. It allows us the freedom to do the things that we want to do. I started my first business in 2008 with $50 and it was supposed to be a side business. It was supposed to be this little side thing that I did that I wasn't going to grow it. I was a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, was, didn't have a website selling to friends, maybe, maybe friends of friends. That was it (laughs) at the most. That might be stretching it. And I had a conversation with my husband uh, who was on the other side of the planet. He would travel for three or four weeks at a time. He'd buy a ticket called the around the world ticket. He did Mm -hmm. marketing for fortune 500 companies at the time. So he would travel and he'd go to Asia and, uh, you know, Australia and all these different places. And, uh, I had a conversation with him telling him all the things that the kids were doing and what was going on. And he said, I'm missing everything. I'm missing all the milestones. I'm missing all the moments. I'm missing all the things. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not. But I hung up the phone and I made a decision that night, standing in my bright yellow kitchen. I decided I was going to grow my business for $50 to the point where I could absorb my husband's MBA income and he could come work alongside of me and we would have the lifestyle freedom that we really wanted. And so that night I sat down and I mapped out strategies. I put the kids to bed. Like maybe I rushed them to bed. I don't think I even made them brush their teeth. I was like, go to bed. rushed downstairs and I started mapping out systems. I started mapping out organization. How was I going to make this work? Because I was a mom with two small children who were literally playing at my feet on a daily basis, uh, who had a husband who traveled for three or four weeks at a time. So I knew that I had to really create these strong pockets of focus that I needed to create systems for myself so I could bring people on. And so I mapped it all out. And within about a year, I was able to make my goal happen, to have him come work alongside of me. So he left corporate America in 2009 and I grew my business and, you know, it was great. It was wonderful. But I was doing all this work with all these women, talking to them about how they grow their businesses. And I realized 
nobody had the structure that I had, that I just naturally knew this is one of my gifts, right? Was being able to be productive. And so I ended up closing that first business and deciding to open up Inkwell Press, which is really the three things I'm most passionate about. Teaching, I used to be a teacher in my last life, uh, empowering women and productivity because I knew productivity is what allowed me the freedom lifestyle that I wanted. Lifestyle freedom, time freedom, financial freedom, even location freedom. We moved to where we wanted to, we moved to where we wanted to retire when we were, you know, years and years away from retirement, right. because why not? We run our own business. And so for me, it was really this realization that other people aren't running their businesses this way. That's crazy because I had, even when it was just me running the business, I had departments and I had different days where I themed, you know, Monday was for marketing. So marketing Mondays, and I put on my marketing hat and I focused only on marketing on Mondays. Tuesdays was for, you know, innovation. Tuesdays was for operations. Wednesday was for shipping. And so really compartmentalizing that and allowing myself the laser focus instead of trying to do all the different things on a daily basis, really zoning in and getting that focus allowed me to work. And I was working literally at that point, maybe two days a week, maybe because I worked on the days my kids were at preschool and Mother's Day out. And mm. then, you know, I continued to, as then when they went to school, I, I ramped it up and started doing, you know, spending more time on it. But productivity is what allowed me to, to take my CEO of the office hat off and wear my CEO of the home hat at three o'clock. I don't work and I still don't work after three o'clock most days, unless I make an exception um, because it's something that I want to do or something that's important. And I don't work on Fridays. I work four days a week and I get off work Monday through Thursday at three o'clock and I run a seven figure company because I have structure, because I use productivity to my advantage not trying to do a thousand things, mm -hmm. doing the things that are truly important. You know, I'm so like, it's, it's actually funny and, and very nerdy how excited I will get having conversation about productivity, structure, frameworks, oh, well, operating place, systems. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is amazing. Um, and so I just, you, you know, first thing I want to highlight, cause, um, you know, again, I, I told you before the recording, the majority of my audience are people that are either starting a business, wanting to start a business, or scaling a, a, a business. And I think the, the data says that the majority of people in our audience, they're relatively newer businesses, right? Um, you all need to hear this, that Tanya with $50, a husband who's gone more than he's home, kids that she's taking care of, you've scaled a seven-figure company because, because, not because you're better or smarter, no, or, or although you may be those things, but because you are more organized. Basically. I like to say, you know, I'm not special. My mom, yes, thinks I'm special. My husband thinks I'm special, but I'm really not special in that I have anything that anybody else doesn't have, honestly. So if I can do this, I truly believe, and I know that anybody can do it. And what was that it's business? Just, what was the first business? My first business, it's very niche, very specific. So um, I was, and this will kind of date with me how old I am. Uh, so it was 2008 and we didn't really have smartphones with pictures of our kids. And people would ask me all the time for pictures. Oh, let me see the pictures of the kids. I'd be like, listen, you're lucky I showered today. Like I don't have pictures of my kids. Right. So <laughs> I ended up deciding I wanted to put pictures of my kids on pieces of jewelry that uh, then I would have it with me all the time, like necklaces, bracelets, things like that. And 
you know, my friends started buying it, which was why I had the $50. And then I decided, you know, in that moment, you know what, I'm going to niche in on this. I'm going to really be specific. I'm going to niche in and I'm going to sell to photography studios. So I'm going to work with professional photographers and they're going to resell my jewelry to their clients. So that's what I did. I I created photo jewelry uh, with these really high-end photography studios. And, uh, that's, that's what I, what I started off doing, but I had a moment to be honest with you in about 2013, where I looked at my husband and I said, I love you. I love working with you, but I don't love what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't truly what I was passionate about. It fit the need of, of, you know, okay, I want to scale this business. And, and and if you don't mind me asking, how big did that business scale? Uh, it was six figures. That one didn't get to seven figures. Uh, but, but still, as a, as a single owner operator of a multiple six figure business, you're making oh a big time uh, yeah. Fortune 500 the, salary. Equivalent. Yeah, I was yeah. making more than yeah more than a Fortune 500 salary. Yeah, and so it was it was wonderful. It was great, and because it was jewelry, it was small. I ran it out of my house, and, and I and literally it, only worked on days that the kids were at preschool. And the so reason I'm was, leaning into the, these details, forgive me, is because I just think a lot of times, and again, uh, for an entrepreneurial. Uh, or aspirationally entrepreneurial audience, a lot of times they over convolute what it means to be a successful entrepreneur. You oh, can yeah. run we, a we half a million dollar year business things. and have an incredible life. Well, the truth is, and, and this is the God's honest truth. I've met business owners who run $32 million companies who are only making 32,000 in profit. <laughs> so you know, we look at those numbers a lot of times. We think, oh, it's super flashy. What's your take home? What's your overhead, right? Mm-hmm. What are the real metrics you need to be looking at? So yeah, I was a six-figure business, but I had no overhead at right. all, right? right? And what was great is when I just made the decision to, to close up that company, open up Inkwell Press, I had this whole backpack of knowledge that I took with me, right? All this information, all the things that I wasn't going to do again, all the things I wanted to do again, all the things I had learned, and I was able to scale Inkwell Press when I opened it up. I scaled it to seven figures in 18 months, and I had three employees, me, my husband, and one other person. And we got to seven figures in 18 months. Yeah. It really is about creating the structure. And it's not about taking more time. You know, we think that we want to, that productivity is about doing more. Productivity isn't about doing more. It's doing what's most important. It's looking at your life. It's looking at your business and figuring out what are the things that move the needle, right? What are the things that are making the biggest impact? And then focusing your time, your energy, your money in those areas, because it's going to make the biggest difference. So I have so many questions. Um, but yeah, first of all, I just want everybody to capture that snapshot. 18 months, seven-figure business, three employees, two of them at least clearly working from home. So yeah. like virtually no over, and, and especially you're distributing products through other people's retail channels. You don't have a lot of physical distribution infrastructure. Like, I don't want to ask I did, pride. No, I did. I was selling online. Yeah, I was okay. selling online also. I mean, we still sell online. I still have inkwellpress.com. Uh, but but we you had also pallets. sell through like Home Depot or uh, office, office staples and stuff. Office, not Home yeah. Depot. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone says Home Depot instead of Office Depot. I don't know what it is. Some Depot. Yes, office de- it's all Depot. Right. Um, yeah, Office Depot, uh, Staples, Office mm-hmm. Max, those stores as well. Yes. But when I first started... Uh, to keep the overhead low, we literally had pallets delivered to the front yard. And then I brought them in and they were in a spare bedroom in my basement. 
I mean, you do what you have to do when you're starting off, you know, you got to be scrappy. You have to. And when we just made the decision to close the one business and open up Inkwell Press, we went six months without any income. My husband works for me. So if I closed one business, we had no money coming in. Mm -hmm. So we had to tighten our belts and we had to really think about how are we going to make this work? Um, And so that's what we did. We ran it out of our house for a year and then we moved to a bigger warehouse and we had a warehouse and then we moved to two, two warehouses that are now side by side. Uh, so it's one of those things where I think a lot of people, when they step into entrepreneurship, they think they're immediately going to need to go to the two warehouses. You start small, you start with what you can and it grows from there. You're learning lessons the whole way and you're figuring out how to structure it. And I think that's the thing for me is even when I only had three employees, even when I was running most of the operations in the business, I was always creating manuals. I was always creating processes so that when it was time to scale up, I could easily hand those over and delegate it to somebody else. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to let you know you can get a free copy of my book, The Millionaire Shortcut, which will show you the fastest way to become a millionaire in the new economy. And there's a special link just for this episode in the description. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So have you always been real sort of, you know, fastidious or kind of obsessed with documentation and process and systems, or is this totally an acquired skill? I would say it's, it's probably something that I've always loved. Like I'm, yeah. I, I can, I love watching, like I'll watch things on um, the Amazon warehouses right? I'll watch how the Amazon warehouses do fulfillment. And I'm like, okay, what, what can I apply to what I'm doing? And -hmm. I'll break it down because I'm I'm not interested in being Amazon, but how are they doing it? Oh, they've got this bin system. Okay. I'm going to do a bin system. Okay. How are they, how are they moving things through the shipping area through fulfillment? Our fulfillment is like tight. We Mm -hmm. ship incredibly fast with, you know, very little margin of error for a very small company. I mean, we still don't have very many team members because we don't need it. I think people get caught up too. And like, I need a big team. You don't need a big team. You don't need a lot of capital. I mean, I started with $50, right? You don't need a big team. You don't need a lot of the things that we think looks really good. We don't need the fancy office that we see on Pinterest. What you need is to focus in on what's going to really move the needle. And then as you grow, you start adding those things on. Uh, My first hundred and... 50 episodes of my podcast, I recorded in my closet for crying out loud. Right. And it was a top, top, you know, productivity podcast. It was nationally ranked and (laughs) iTunes noteworthy and all those things. And I was recording in my, in my closet because it was like, I'm I'm not going to do, you know, I'm not ready to go to a studio. I'm not ready to spend the money on this. Mm -hmm. I want to spend my money on that in my business and it evolves and it grows. So, you know, this is such a perfect conversation. Uh, I'm so glad we're having it. I, you know, through, through my business entre where I'm, I'm literally like an evangelist for exactly what we're talking about, which is, you know, I think in the modern world, this whole like fast company, you know, Silicon, Silicon Valley tech VC startup culture mindset sort of image has completely hijacked entrepreneurship. Where people think like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. That means I need to move to Menlo Park and hire developers to build an app. That's not what it means. That's that's not what our country was built on. Our country was built on like individual owner-operator merchant class people applying their wares and widgets and making cool stuff happen, right? And like, I'm trying to bring it back to that because I think we live in a world now where it's like either I go take 
massive risk trying to become a billionaire or I just get a job. Right. There's no in between. There's and no. And, in and to between. me, the best life is actually in between for most people. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't have any interest in being an Amazon or something too, too giant, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a whole nother set of headaches, but it really is what is most important to you. One of the exercises I go through when I, when I work with entrepreneurs is let's redefine what success looks like to you. I think so often we define success because we look left and right and see what everybody else is doing. And we're like, Oh, I need to be doing what he's doing over here. I need to do what she's doing over here. And we're setting the wrong goals. We're setting the wrong metrics. We're setting the wrong expectations for everything. So it's really, what do you, what is, what does success look like to you? So I do this exercise where we we go through one year in the future, five years in the future, 10 years in the future, 20. And we talk about you outside of work. What do your relationships look like at this point in your life? One year down the road, five years down the road and so on. What do, uh, what is what is your living situation look like? What does your recreational life look like? What are all these things, right? Like this holistic version of you. Okay, now let's figure out how much money you need to have that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Then, so a lot of times we start with that financial part, like how much money do I need to make? Well, hold on. How much money do you really need to make for the lifestyle? Your business is not the end all be all. Your business is a vehicle for the lucrative life. It's what allows you to live the lucrative life. So let's figure out what the lucrative life looks like for you in these, you know, increments of one year, mm-hmm. five year, and so on. And then let's work backwards. All right. Now we know how much money we need to make. This is how much profit we need to make. So then how much do we want to make revenue wise? And then we just go from there. And then we start mapping out goals that are based off these things. Instead of just throwing darts at a dartboard, we need to really be intentional about the goals we're setting and the metrics we're setting. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of with on purpose is I've never seen a book that helps you understand what your goal should be. You know, there's, there's no list. There's no magic list of you need to do this and then that and then this. Mm-hmm. It's really customizing them and figuring out what your goals should look like for you, for your idea of success. And so I walk through a whole process in the book of how you back that up into what your goal should be. So like, as you were explaining that, which is just so like magically simple really when you put it in those terms it's like oh my dream life would cost me you know 15 grand a month right so great you need 180 yeah. grand a year you need a 20% margin on a $900,000 a year business which means you need to make $75,000 a month in gross revenue which means you need to figure out how to sell $100 of a 100 units of a per month yeah. of a or 1000 units a month of a $75 product that's 30 a day Yep. And then you can even keep working backwards. If you're, you know, your main offering, your key, key service or mm-hmm. offer or whatever it is, is a, is a hundred dollars. You want to make this much money. All right. How many leads do you need to get in? Okay. Right. If your close rate is one out of four, then, then you can start working backwards. And then you're working with numbers that really matter Yeah, because they're connected to that lifestyle that you're looking for. But so often we're just like, I need more. I need more money. I need more leads. I need more marketing. I need to spend more money on my ads. I need, we're not really right. being intentional with our focus on how we're growing the business. And it's that intentionality that allows you to do less while you're making so much more yeah. money. And I think people also sometimes miss that when it's all connected back to your real reason why you want to do it. Yes. It's so much easier to find the time and energy to do the work. 
Oh, you're just yeah, naturally it's inspired naturally, to do it. Yeah. It's baked in already because you you know what it's connected to. You know, there's this very real, very measurable drop in happiness and life satisfaction when you accomplish a goal. It's called the goal setting paradox. It's really kind of fascinating. And the reason why we experience that is because we think there's this magical moment when we cross the finish line of whatever that goal is. When I make six figures in my business, then I'll be happy. When I get my first client, then I'm going to be happy. When I, whatever it is, right? But the truth is you get there and that happens and you're like, oh, now what? I don't know what to do. So you feel unsettled. But if you connect what you're doing to that big, bright future, that vision you have of where it is you want to go, that becomes a stepping stone. Oh, this is amazing. I did this. I know what I'm going to do next. Right. And so you take a moment to celebrate and then you're off and running for the next thing because it's created a springboard. It's created momentum because it is all connected mm -hmm. and it's connected to what is important to you, what your idea of success is, what your life should look like because it's what you want and your family wants. So this feels, and I may sound like a, I don't know, just like a sexist prig saying this because I'm like, <laughs> I'm different. I'm just creating this dichotomy that's probably artificial, but that feels like a very female, that feels like what would be a more naturally female way of approaching business, which is this more organic, integrated, holistic approach. Whereas the guy is like, well, I just need to make more money and have a nicer car and be more impressive than this. Um, are you are you saying that actually women don't naturally do what you're suggesting and that you kind and that's obviously why you have to coach them in that direction? Is that because they're taking what they think is the the manly script on how to run a business? Because that why aren't they thinking family first anyway? Well, to be honest with you, it's not sexist at all. It's actually the feminine energy, which is if you get into energy and those kinds of things, the feminine energy is kind of on an uptick now. Um, and the masculine energy is what's been running business and industry mm -hmm. and society for a long time. And it is very masculine to do the hustle, hustle, go, 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 hustle, grind, repeat kind of culture. This approach is incredibly feminine. And the reason why more women aren't doing it is because most of what we're being taught is what's been taught for the last century, which right. is go, 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 hustle, 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 go, right? And is very masculine. And when we say masculine and feminine energy, it doesn't mean man or woman because we all have those energies within us. Right. Men and women both have masculine and feminine. And, and I will tell you, you're speaking to a confidently feminine man. I'm totally comfortable with that. So. Yeah, which I think I think there's more men like that who are like, oh, hold on a minute. We don't have to do it this old way. It is an old dichotomy. It's, you know, these obsolete, outdated models that are being refreshed. And I think that's what's exciting about right now is you can step into these more feminine ways of running a business and you can run a successful business by doing it. Yeah. And it's interesting, I, although I'm not quite sure we're going to, we're going to go right to putting this in the brochure. What you're helping me realize is that in, a, in, in, in large part, what my company Entra is actually out there espousing in the market is, is sort of a more feminine approach to entrepreneurship. It's like recapturing entrepreneurship to be this more like holistic, family-centric, lifestyle, uh, supportive yeah. vocation or venture, as opposed to just this like wheel that you can grind yourself to death against. Um, and that's what I'm actually trying to help people realize is like, this is how to have, you only get one shot at being alive. This is yeah. probably your best shot for the average person. <laughs> 
this is it. Start a business. This, this is it. And, and this is the truth. We go into business because we do want those freedoms. Like I said earlier, financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom, right? All, all those mm-hmm. freedoms. And then we find ourselves playing by these old rules that chain us to this idea of like, go, 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 grind, grind, grind. And we lose sight that we can run our business on our own terms, that we don't have to do what everybody else is doing. In fact, not doing what everybody else is doing makes you a disruptor, makes you stand out. And it's going to be a lightning rod to attract the right clients for you. When you don't stand for anything, you're just like water, right? You're just like, ugh, nothing, right? But you start to stand for something. You start to do things a little bit differently. People take notice. And the people who you want to work with will be attracted to that like a magnet. And you're such a great example of that because you're literally selling productivity tools for women as a, for, for female entrepreneurs, as a female entrepreneur who clocks off at three o'clock every day and doesn't even work on Mm -hmm. Fridays. Like you're, it's like you said, when you, when you decide what you stand for and even your products and services reflect what you stand for and you don't apologize what you stand for, it becomes this whole congruent story that's really easy for customers to, to feel loyal to because it's authentic and real. And it's frankly, probably what they want for their life. Yeah. I like to say I eat what I cook. Yeah. Uh, I don't just talk about productivity. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, this is all theory or this is, I actively live my life where my business is aligned with my values. I treat my team in alignment with what my purpose is. Uh, I make decisions for my business, even when it might seem crazy to the outside world. And I do make decisions that sometimes people think that's insane, but I do it because I know it's aligned. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really, really important. I I feel that. I feel that too, that alignment. There's times I even literally today, I sent off a message to our uh, marketing or our copywriting team. And I said, guys, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to be a marketer anymore. I'm just a messenger. Mm -hmm. I just speak my truth. If you guys need a call to action or you need me to have a certain avatar in mind or you need me to curate the message or tailor it or shape it a certain way, that's fine. Direct me, produce me. But me, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be riffing truth and that's all I want to do, right? And because the more I do that, the more aligned I am, the more the business seems to thrive. It's true. The business thrives automatically when you're doing things that are in alignment because you're more energized for it. If you have a team, they're more energized just by proxy, right? Yeah, yeah. And your customers and your clients, they they stop being return customers and start becoming loyal customers. Loyal customers are different than return customers in that they return time and time again, regardless of competition, regardless mm-hmm. of price, because they have bought in on you. And that's the thing is people buy from people. They don't buy from companies. When you're a company and you feel like you have to play that corporate line of like, I can't stand for anything. Nobody's really, you know, polarized towards you. Yeah. So stand for something. It makes a huge difference. So I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're, we're, we're a pretty ideal. My business is pretty ideological. Like, you know, you're either, you either love us or hate us and we we're fine with that. Um, and that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me ask this. What is the joy of missing out? Yeah. The joy of missing out is really actively choosing to miss out 
to say no to more things instead of feeling like you need to do everything. I think we get really caught up in this idea that hashtag all the things, right? I need to do all the things. I want to do all the things. And I truly believe that happiness is our birthright, that there is joy and happiness in the cracks and crevices of our everyday life. And when you actively choose to miss out on all the other noise, that's when you can find happiness on a daily basis. It really is, you know, at the heart of the joy of missing out, the heart of anything I teach uh, it's what I call small, huge movements. So simple to do, easy to implement, yet monumental in the impact it can make in your daily life. Little tiny tweaks to find that joy on a daily basis. And a lot of it comes through having good productivity, having good structure so that you can truly enjoy what you're doing. That's why we go into business to enjoy what we're doing, right? So why are you doing things you don't like? Yeah, it's kind of a, it kind of feels like, you know, what we say a lot in our world is that good is the enemy of great. And there's all these good things. There's so many good things to say yes to. Yeah. But the, but the few great things won't be there unless you actually say no to a lot of good things. Yeah. Well, every time we say yes, we're saying no to something else. So every time we say yes to an opportunity or yes to, you know, a project, we're saying no to something else. And oftentimes what we're saying no to are our own passion projects, Mm -hmm. our own priorities, our family, our free time, right? We're saying no to those things because we're worried about making sure that we're doing all the things. And I can tell you when you choose to do fewer, you'll do them better and you'll feel more excited about it. What do you... What do you see when you go in? I assume you get a lot of people coming to you with like a dumpster fire saying, please help me put this out. <laughs> it's, all, it's all overwhelming and I can't keep track. Yeah. What, what do you see as kind of the common uh, pitfalls or, 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 you know, situations that people create and how do you solve them? I mean, I know that's a huge question for a relatively small amount of time we have left, but like, what's, a, what's like a tactic? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But like some, there's something that you know that there's somebody listening that like needs help yeah. and, and what they need to do. It's really taking time to define your North Star, your mission, your vision, your core values. Those become the filter for everything you do. And I find that most people don't take that time. They feel like, oh, that's for big corporations or that's just corporate speak or those kinds of things. Truly deciding and deciding the direction you want to go in, that becomes your filter to know what to say yes to and what to say no to right? It helps you decide which products you're going to offer or which offerings you're going to have, who your ideal client is. All of that determines that. That becomes your filter for everything you do productivity-wise. In The Joy of Missing Out, the first section of the book is called Discover because we discover what is your, your, your North Star. What is your mission, your vision, your core values? Let's use those. And then those filter out everything else because there's a lot of noise that comes our way. And there's a lot of expectations from not just ourselves, but also from society, right? People throw things to you all the time. We need to know where we're going. And when you don't take time to define the destination, like we talked about earlier with defining success, right? Then how do you know where you're going? It's like jumping in your car and thinking you're gonna go from you know, California to Florida without a map or without GPS. We wanna define where we're going so then we can map it. And once you get that figured out, it's like, okay. Now we can create the structure. Now we know what our goals need to be. Now we know what our next moves are. You know, I had no idea what your answer was going to be. Um, and I'm actually a little bit concerned that somebody told you exactly how to answer that question because 
<laughs> you said mission, vision, and values as your North mm-hmm. Star. And it's like, yes. literally, it's like, so uh, we have a course, uh, one of our, it's called the Entre Foundations. It's one of the courses in our ecosystem. And there's a whole section of it that's called MVV Living. That's about how to make your entire life mission, vision, and values congruent. And I'm just so glad that you said that. Um, mission, vision, and values has completely transformed my life. It's oh, become yeah. Occam's razor that I can mm-hmm. use to cut away all the good, all the yes that that is indirectly no to the great, right? Like most, yeah. I find most people's lives are so cluttered with things that wouldn't actually belong if they had more clarity about why they're on this earth. Yeah, well, the truth is we don't know what to throw overboard until our boat is sinking, right? We have all mm. this stuff, all this clutter, all this thing, all these things in our boat and when the boat starts sinking, we're like, oh, I don't need this all of a sudden. I don't need that. We don't take that, that moment of clarity on the front end, right? Or even if you've already started your business, stopping getting that clarity with your mission, your vision, your core values, that allows you to see, oh, I shouldn't have never, I should have never had this in my boat at all, right? Yeah. Or I need to throw this out. So much easier when you know where it is you want to go. Well, I'm so glad. Honestly, we arrived at this point. I know you have another meeting. Um, We have to wrap this up, but thank you so much for your time. Mission, vision, and values. We literally could not have ended on a better punctuation mark. Uh, This has been wonderful. How can the world come get your books, come get more of you? Yeah. So the best place to find my books is anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get them at any online bookseller. Um, And you can also find information on it uh, on my website, tanyadalton.com. My podcast is The Intentional Advantage. Uh, This podcast player you're listening to today, if you just do a search for Intentional Advantage, you'll be able to follow me there where I talk about strategies. Uh, But I am not on social media. That is one of the things I just Ooh. made the deter- I just first uh, guest made- ever to say yeah. that. Well, uh, on the first of January of 2022, that was my last day on social media because it does not align. Wow! So I made that decision. Like yeah. you said, you're making big decisions that might seem off to people based on alignment. I love that. Puts yeah. her money where her mouth but- is. I do. I do. And I'm excited about it because I think it gives me opportunities to really think outside of the box to deepen the connection with my listeners more. So I'm excited about it. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential, it would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people. Your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in, check out this podcast and unlock their potential and ultimately level up the quality of their life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support and for listening, especially if you like or share or leave a review. Thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place.